everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Thinking Aloud About Film. We are pursuing our investigation of uh, the Taiwan Film and Audiovisual Institute's offerings on YouTube as a means of further exploring the cinema of Hu Shen. We've been looking recently at a whole series of films by Lin Tuan Xu, and we are now turning to the cinema of Sin Chi, uh, and beginning with The Bride Who Returned from Hell. <laughs> <laughs> so Richard, your views on this. Huh? It was excellent. <laughs> it was quite a fairly deranged film, um, but hugely entertaining. Uh, tell us a story. Basically, it's a cross between Jane Eyre and Rebecca and The Sound of Music. <laughs> Just as the film starts, this woman has apparently died in a boating accident, um, leaving her, her widowed husband and young daughter. And then a, a new governess arrives by train to become the governess to this to this young child, who, unbeknownst to the other characters, is the sister of the of the deceased wife. Um, and uh, there's all sorts, all sorts of mysteries. There's some kind of spooky children. There's a mystery over what happened to the wife. There's a sort of slightly too friendly woman next door who p perhaps has a hidden secret. And there's secret passageways. <laughs> and there's, there's murder and attempted murder. It, it's, it's all kinds of fun, I thought. It's based on a Victoria Halt novel which mm. uh, actually surprised me because I used to read <laughs> Victoria <laughs> Holt uh, novels. Um, and it really is like a mixture of Rebecca and I, w I was thinking like Turn of the Screw. or mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Turn of the Screw in there as well. Yeah. 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 So, you know, because there is like this, this ghostly spectral element that actually I thought, oh, it's, it's just a dream. But actually... It's not really, yeah. Like it no, could no. Be, I but... think, the, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, the, the the novel, because um, the, the novel was published a few years earlier, uh, but that was was set in Victorian Cornwall um, rather than present day Taiwan. <laughs> yes. And you know, actually, the 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 setting in the in the past kind of makes more sense because it's yeah the the idea yeah the the, the climax you're supposed to believe there's a secret passageway in this fairly modern house that no one's noticed, which would kind of make more sense in a Victorian castle on the rocks, you know. Though it kind of <laughs> made sense to me in this film, actually. I didn't have a problem with that, right? Because, you know, uh, there, uh, the secret passage is in an ancient mausoleum, right? Yeah, and it's a yeah. safe. Right, so it's yeah. yeah, I guess so. so, yeah, so yeah. I, it kind of for me, it had a kind of <laughs> logic, really. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure how I feel about it, you know. So I thought that I've begun to miss the deranged experimentation of Lin Tuan Chu. <laughs> yeah, this seemed yeah. kind of much slicker, in some ways much better, right, but also not good enough if that makes sense. Yeah, it's not Rebecca, you know, and it's not uh, uh, Turn of the Screw. It was, was the film with Deborah Kerr called? The the Innocence, which the is Innocence. Yeah, based, based on the Turn of the Screw. Yeah. yeah. So it's neither of those, you know, it's not at that level of like... No, no. 
The Innocence was 1961, so a few years, three years earlier. So I suspect not a coincidence. It's it's not a coincidence (laughs) because this film is super aware of um, the latest thing. I mean, you know, there's a moment near the end where, you know, it's a moment of revelation. All of a sudden, the Bond theme song comes on, right? And, you know, Bond was, what, 62 or something, right? Yeah, the first yeah. one, right? So, uh, uh, you know, this is like someone who's aware of, you know, the current uh, cinema. Yeah, it, it seems I read, a, I found an interesting article, which I'll just dig out, which talks about the background of the director and, and also the background of the producer. Um, one of the girls, the, the, the granddaughter of the servant was played by the producer's um, daughter. Sorry, yeah. um, so the producer would take the director on, on tours of the island, scouting locations. But really the idea was to go and visit all of the, uh, all of the cinemas and get deposits for pre-booking the, the amazing film he was going to film in the local area and all of, all of this kind of thing. Sounds a bit like a, you know, Roger Corman or... Or uh, early cinema, in fact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, basically a very, a very commercial approach and, and also the, um, I think the soundtrack was the choice of the producer, not of the director. There was a quote from the director who watched the film um, in the 90s and, and found it quite disappointing. Uh, I, I don't know. To me, it had, uh, like, the, the, the use of the soundtrack was very similar to what we see in Lin Tuan Chu films. Yeah, it's kind of snippets of popular song, often with the arrangements changed. I mean, I must say, this is the only film where I can think that cites both uh, Buñuel's use of Wagner yeah, in Lash d'Or and James Bond in one, <laughs> yeah, in one soundtrack. But you get other, you know, lots of other snippets of popular song and also yeah, what yeah. seem to be Taiwanese uh, folk songs, you know, which reminded me a lot of, like, you know, Soviet celebrations of five-year plans or something. They're, you know, they're riding through this, like, fabulous uh, Taiwanese countryside and they're singing songs of joy. <laughs> yeah, I love that bit. The, the other bit of song that I really liked was near, near the start where there's a um, children singing, is, is playing on the soundtrack and you just get this shot of the slightly spooky um, granddaughter of the, um, of the servants. And then it just holds this shot for ages. You just get this this shot of the the mansion in the in the dark that's just held while this entire song plays. And it's it was probably I couldn't work out whether this was deliberate or just slightly inept. But it but it actually works really well because it just creates this slightly strange atmosphere with spooky children singing and that kind of thing. Yes, I mean, um, did you find it camp? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 huge, hugely camp. You know, the, you know the, like the opening scene with the on the on the train with the, the 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 guy with the sunglasses offering to tell her fortune, and then the the kind of overblown uh, female performances of the woman next door, and the you know, and, and the servants, and the, it's yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know the young farm girl who's in love with her, with the master of the house, and. You know, so there's a lot of characters that are played for fun. Though, in a way, it's a very bourgeois film. It's kind of aspirational. It's all set in, like, clearly upper-class milieu. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Bit like those Hitchcock films, in fact. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um, and, and actually, it's visually, I think, quite slick. Uh, 
there is something still about the editing in these films. Yeah, you sometimes get very abrupt cuts. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so that seems to be a characteristic. Um, I really loved the whole um, look of it, which is the look of the period, but which somehow seemed particularly elegant in these Taiwanese films. Yeah. You know. Those I suits. loved. That. Yeah, this kind of yeah the suits and the haircuts and the and and just things like the the, the children's toys. I mean, there's this really uh, strange like teddy bear that the, the, the little girl had with a kind of monkey with a weird face. And, and it was a very kind of 60, mid, a very mid 60s vibe to the whole thing. I was going um, to talk to you about that because one of the characteristics of the Lin Tuan Shu film was, which I never got around to mentioning and, you know, just because I'm dizzy, but all of his films feature dolls in the background, right? You know, uh, almost as like statues or pots, like things to show off and, you know, home decoration to show off. And I just, you know, because my mom was like that, right? And I wondered if it was something of the period. Yeah, that in the mid-60s, that's what you did with these expensive dolls, yeah? Uh, and I thought, oh, maybe it's something to do with the culture. But actually, it was very telling that in this film, there were no expensive dolls hanging on the walls or on the bookshelves or, yeah? So, you know, I thought that's something particular to Lin Tuan Chu, you know, that we don't see in this director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what else caught your eye? I, I think the, I, I say the use of widescreen, I really liked it, it, things like using split screen for phone calls right at the beginning. I thought the storytelling of the opening sequences was great. It takes you, it doesn't really explain anything, it takes you straight into this boat accident that's happening and, and uh, you know, then people learning about it over the phone. Um, the, there's a lot of location for filming. Um, again, which we now realise is because the director, the producer was 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 using locations to to um, uh, uh, sell the film around the island. But you know, again, really interesting seeing those those kind of locations and that 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 kind of environment in the same way as we were seeing it in Ho Shan Shan films. Um, the use of songs again. So again, it's a gothic, it's, you know, it's a gothic romance, but it's also a musical. Um, so that, you know, this time the songs are mostly on the soundtrack rather than the song, but you, you they are, you do get all these montages of, uh, particularly when they're out in the country and playing golf and so on. There's, there's all these children's songs. Um, but yeah, I loved it. And the, the, yeah, the way it used, uses the house and the way it films the house and the sort of, interesting framings were I, I think was you know it, it, again as with the, the 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 other three films it's a very although it's slightly crude filmmaking it's a very clearly reasonable budget and a very mature film industry yeah again learning from again learning from japan because I, I was reading up on the director and he uh, as with uh, the other director he he spent time in, in the japanese film industry and brought those skills back to taiwan um I understand that between the 60s and I don't know whether and, and the late 70s or whatever, uh, he made 50 films. Mm. Yeah. So he made like 15 films in 1969, apparently. Right. <laughs> okay. so, <laughs> and I'm sure know, they were all great. <laughs> uh, so I think this tells you something about the level of filmmaking, right? So on the one hand, you know, I really enjoyed it. It is very slick and very camp. And, you know, and the cast is a much more attractive and competent cast uh, than we're used to seeing. Uh, 
But on the other hand, there is a crudity to it as well. So I wouldn't quite go so far as to say like television of the period. But you know, I mean, I bet you there wasn't many uh, American film directors who did more than 15 one-hour episodes of any series a year, right? I mean, yeah. you know, this is kind of... Uh, and he, uh, and after the 70s, he ended up directing TV, apparently. So he, he did have a sort of lengthy career, but, but in TV. But I think that was more around the fact that, you know, the, the Taiwanese film industry was, at that point was then focused on Mandarin filmmaking. So he, he then went went into TV but and, and had a very successful career. And, and then also later on in his career, uh, was working with the Taiwanese Film Archive on their restorations of these films. Yeah. Um, it's important to remind ourselves that this is a Hokan language film, yeah. Uh, uh, so not a Mandarin language one. I see I made a note that the uh, Victoria Halt novel, which came out in 1960, so this is really cutting edge, you know, uh, was called Mistress of Melon. Yeah, uh, yeah I and I... Uh, so it was her first, well, it was Victoria Holt's first novel. I mean, Victoria Holt, as you, you obviously know, was uh, had was a woman of she. Well, she was she was at least three very successful novelists because yes. <laughs> <laughs> she was also uh, Jean Plady and I devoured um, Jean Plady as a kid. Yeah, you know, so she was queens of you know passions of the Queen of Spain or things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, she, so she yeah she was massively popular. She was so she yeah she was Jean Plady. She was then. She then invented the Victoria Holt pseudonym for these gothic romances, and apparently it was. So this was, the the publishers deliberately kept mystery about who who is Victoria Holt. We're not going to tell you. And so there was, there were rumours that that you know it was actually Daphne du Maurier, or yeah, because it was so, because the first book was basically this Rebecca knockoff. Um, she was also Philippa Carr, um, who wrote family sagas. And also Eleanor Burford, Elba Ford, Catherine Kello, and a Percival and Ella Lice Tate, according to Wikipedia, My were all God. pseudonyms. And then the what I love is, well, yeah, because she she died in um, um, the in the nineties, and it's just this great phrase. She died on the eighteenth of January, nineteen ninety three, somewhere between Athens, Greece, and Port Said, Egypt. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was basically, she, yeah, no, she was on a cruise. Oh, she right. Was she was like, uh, I don't know how old she was at the time, um, but she she went on an annual cruise. She was she was in her late eighties. She went on an annual cruise and, and obviously presumably died in her sleep. So, so she went on yeah. an annual cruise where she presumably wrote six more books. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, she was knocking these things out at a fair rate. Um, but yeah, good for her. And and this is you know it, it's interesting that she she's one of these authors that I think if you're a certain age you just know those names. Um, but I'm not sure if they're still in print. But I'm I'm also fairly sure that this was not an authorized um adaptation no. of the novel um, uh, because it she's not i don't think she's naming the credits this isn't imdb now does say that this is based on mistress of melon but I, I had a look at various um gene plady and victoria holt fan sites which all looked like they were they were all kind of charmingly retro sites that you yeah, know like geocities.com type of sites so because of the fans being a certain age you know, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 sites were all set up in the early days of the internet and none of them mentioned this film as an adaptation of, 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 of the novel there was a stage play of it and there was an attempt at an american film of it and the the other thing that's interesting which did strike me watching the opening of it is um dark you know dark shadows the yes. u.s 
TV series. Mm-hmm. The, the opening episode of that is basically the same as the opening of this. So this oh, right. governess arrives on a train to um, become governess to, you know, the, the daughters of a widowed man kind of thing. Huh. Um, um, it has a lot of things that we've come to expect of this cinema. So you were saying the widescreen, the use of the landscape, the use of flashbacks, yeah, which kind of you know, alter the story or explain it or expand it. Yeah, and it always feels a bit clunky, like, you know, had they worked more on the screenplay, they could have fitted that in different ways. Um, So, um, you know, you do begin to get a sense of um, continuities amongst the filmmakers. Yeah, you begin to see also similarities. Yeah, there are characteristics of this Taiwanese cinema. This is the the third film made in 1965 that we've seen yeah uh so uh uh i think that's that's also interesting and this seems to have a more expansive um better dressed uh more skilled cast yeah Um, yeah certainly the the locations looked more well yeah there's more location filming the sets were more convincing the cast was better and, and looked better and the clothes were better. I mean, it, 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 you could tell comparing this to um, Six Suspects particularly, you know, you could tell this was a bigger budget production. Yeah. Um, um, unlike uh, uh, Six Suspects, though, did this uh, felt to me like um, less cinephile, you know, like less imaginative, you know, there was no equivalent to that shot, which, you know, in some ways seemed stupid and inept, but nonetheless showed imagination, which was, you know, the shadow of the detective on the walls, mm, yeah. Mm. I mean, here, you think, there's a shot where you think, oh, this is going to become like a circ shot where, you know, the woman is reflected in the mirror and whatever. But, you know, then the camera moves in, and that's it. That this, that idea disappears, right? So, yeah, so yeah. there's kind of, like, a competence... But this is not the kind of film to drive at least this foreign cinephile wild, you know. No, and he he seems to be a um, a director who you know worked across multiple genres. Was just doing what you know his first film was an opera. He the the, the other two films we 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 got to see um, from from the selection that's on mine. There's was it um, foolish bride naive. Bridegroom, which is a kind of screwball comedy, and Dangerous Youth. I'm not sure what. Well, I can imagine what Dangerous Youth yes. is like. <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah, he he made apparently he made a softcore pornography film at some point, which I don't, I don't think is one of the ones we're seeing. But uh, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's nothing. Um, I'm not being judgmental about that. I, I just want to convey to our listeners the level of expectation because I think you know it's 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 right. Uh, for uh, the uh, Taiwan Film and Audiovisual Institute to preserve these films. They're important, and they definitely evoke history, a flavor of the time, the social mores and conventions of the time. I mean, there's, you know, these are definitely worth films worth preserving. Yeah, um, and in, in much the same way as, I mean, we, we've, we've talked about, you know, Egyptian B movies of the, of the time, but also you know British, cheap British quote a quickie type movies of the, of, the, of the time have 
have an interest and should be preserved. And, and I'm sure that, you know, there's probably some Taiwanese cinephiles doing a podcast about, you know, William Hartnell films right now. I don't know. I, but, doubt, uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, you know, and um, I mean, I am one of those people who don't see those British B films <laughs> because, you know, I've tried and really like if you are a foreigner, they don't repay the viewing. Uh, I think this is slightly better than that because these are clearly amongst the better ones that you know that we're 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 seeing, you know. But I also want to set a level of expectations. Yeah, these are films that are very interesting, you know. But um, you know they 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 are not like world class kind of works of cinematic art. Mm. No, no. Uh, but I, I think you know they they definitely have points of interest, and they and and also. This one particularly, well, I, I just found hugely enjoyable to watch. I mean, you know, it's one where there is obviously this point of connection because it's, ba- it's based on a British novel, based on a, on a if you're of, of a certain age of a, a well-known author. And I've certainly had when I posted about this online, a couple of people that have said, "Oh, yeah, I, I used to read Vic, um, Victoria Holt novels when I was a teenager. I'll, I'm going to, I'll give this a go while it's online." And, and I, I think it's you know, it's fascinating so, you know, seeing a, essentially a modern-day Taiwanese version of a British Victorian Gothic novel that was written in the 1960s. There's all sorts of levels of interest there, I think. Yes, I think it would also be of interest to people who are interested in the question of the transnational, right, which is, you know, uh, a topic in in film studies. Uh, Because, you know, you see uh, how involved all of these people are in kind of discourses that come from various places, yeah? So England and America, there's American pop music, there's clearly like, you know, Hong Kong uh, uh, stuff, and China and Japan, right? Like, you know, this is the result of, you know, a transnational cross-currents of mm, images mm. and sounds. And the Bond thing is interesting because the, um, with the Bond theme, because I was reading an article about King Who saying that he was apparently a big fan of Bond films. Uh-huh. So, right. you know, this, it, it's, it's fascinating. Yes. Uh, and I think what's, what's furthermore, I would say, on this topic is there's a tendency to um, see this as one-way exchanges. I, you know, colonized countries need to know all about America because that's a big empire or, you know, all about the Soviet Union at this time, depending on where. Uh, but, you know, the, the center of the empire need know nothing about Taiwan, right? So it's always seen as kind of, you know, being one directional and with two centers. And what this shows is that actually this is kind of multivalent, yeah, that you're getting these influences from all of these different places, you know, that are not necessarily the center of empire, yeah? Um, so, yeah, uh, though, you know, they might have win- been at one point, in fact, Kind of if you think, oh, well, England, <laughs> China, mainland China, <laughs> Japan, you know, so it was like the empire there for 50 years. So, you know, maybe that thesis doesn't hold up very well. Uh, on a related note, I want to say that we, one could make a distinction now between Lin Tuan, Lin Tuan Chu and here, in the sense that in Lin Tuan Chu's films, we see a lot of who... Shaoshan-esque shots, mm. yeah? Yes, yeah. You know, those screens, those frames within frames within frames that actually you see here relatively rarely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there are yeah. a couple of shots, but it's not like in the Lin Tuan Shu films. 
Yeah, yeah, and and then you think well because here he yeah the 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 predominant set is a Western style house and um, Lin Tuan Chu was working in the kind of Japanese style houses and so it's, it's, yeah, perhaps you almost you almost start to think well maybe those frames within frames thing you can't actually help to film that way if you're filming in the Japanese style house with the screens because it just happens naturally yes. and it just lends itself to you selecting those shots. Yes, that could um, be. So um, it's, it's interesting. All right. Uh, any last thing you want to say about the bride who returned from hell? <laughs> I mean, you know, I just, yeah, so I really enjoyed it. it. It does live up to its title because there is a bride and she does return from hell. And she does say, I am the bride who has returned from hell to justify the title of the film. And it doesn't cheat. Great. <laughs> no, it doesn't cheat at all. Although the, I mean, the, the ending is spectacularly stupid. Because uh, they, sort of, they discover the, the murder and then they... They decide to entrap the murderer by inviting her to the wedding, and it, it's um, it's kind of weird because all these people, are, all these people who've just found a dead body in the next door to the house, are all perfectly happy about it the I next know. day. Come here, have it's some very, cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all go on a nice car journey and wave at the camera. I mean, I did I did love the ending where they all they basically waving at the camera. I mean, that, that's yes. uh, that's really quite nice. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's a huge, hugely fun film. It's um, on YouTube till the 10th of June, which probably will be after, or probably, we, won't, we, we may probably not get the podcast out until then. But, um, but yeah, if you, if you get the chance, well, we'll see. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And we are thinking a lot about them. Bye-bye.